Hey everybody, this is the Mark Explains Podcast. Uh, I am Mark, your host, and this is a really interesting conversation today. So I have a story to tell you. Now, I recently traveled out to San Diego and in traveling most of the time, I like to use Turo, um, which is like Airbnb, but for vehicles. So people have extra vehicles and they rent them out. And I love the idea of renting people's vehicles uh, and putting money into their pocket versus some you know big corporation like Enterprise or whatever. And so I love the idea and also about meeting people. And so I decided to rent a car out in California and San Diego when I went there. And the guy that I'm renting it from, his name is Sam, and he messages me, and we're kind of going back and forth about the specifics of me landing and what time in this net. And he goes, I see you're a podcaster. And I was like, oh, shoot, yes, I forgot that I even put that in my profile. And he's like, oh, I'm also a podcaster. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's your podcast? And he has a podcast called uh, The Grow Together Podcast. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. He actually has a couple more as well. And we get to talking. And, uh, and it turns out that I ended up asking him, I was like, bro, do you want to do a podcast while I'm there? Because my entire life is about connecting with super unique individual people. And, and this is the Mark Explains podcast. But more importantly, this is like I meet people that explain things to me that I don't know about. I mean, that's really what this is all about. It's me meeting super interesting and wild, weird connections and just learning so much about this life that I don't know about. And a little bit about Sam uh, and uh, his partner, Jared, they have the Grow Together Network and the podcast uh, features conversations revolving around furthering access to natural medicine and wellness. This is so interesting to me. Uh, they shed light on new developments and how people are growing and using natural substances and fostering conversations about our rights as people and responsibilities as growers, practitioners, and consumers. It's uh, They talk with entrepreneurs and cultivators and doctors and scientists and practitioners and spiritual. They talk with everybody. They talk with so many people about about the revolution and natural health and wellness. You need to check out the Grow Together podcast. The Grow Together Network is coming. You'll hear about that entire website in the podcast itself. And so this entire conversation spawned from a connection made on through an online car rental portal. And now I end up having two really great friends, Sam and Jared. This is the conversation uh, regarding natural, uh, holistic healing and uh, wellness and natural medicine. It's not something I know a ton about. I know a little bit about it, but I don't know a ton about it. it this was the most interesting conversation because Jared is an attorney and Sam is an engineer. They are the most intelligent people I have uh, run into in this entire field. They're so vastly knowledgeable and this was just so much fun to talk to them. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Uh, and go definitely go check out their podcast, the Grow Together podcast. Uh, thank you so much for, and I really hope you enjoy this podcast today. Tell me a little bit about you guys. I mean, uh, and how you got into the industry that you guys are in. I mean, yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm a I'm a constitutional rights attorney. Um, I've been focused on uh, that for the last since 2009. Um, I've represented over 200 
um, convicted felons in, in appeals in California, in the Court of Appeal and in the Supreme Court of California. Um, and I've uh, also represented businesses, uh, you know, in, in constitutional areas in, related to removing business rights like property rights, due process. So, um, what pushed you into that? Like, like, what was your push to say this is what I want to do? It's good. Uh, well, <laughs> it's, I mean, so before that, I was I was working as an attorney and, and a consultant in technology. Okay. Uh, I was in uh, Helsinki, Finland, and I would help companies uh, get money, develop their business plans, launch into international markets, protect their intellectual property, that sort of thing. I, did, I was doing that for about six years, and I. Um, well, I, you know, I probably was experiencing symptoms of, uh, of anxiety and depression, uh, you know, for one reason or the other. And I also had a lot of pain associated with uh, um, wrestling injuries that I had in, in college. Mm. And, you know, I, right, you know, for a long time, maybe two years, I was on um, opiate medication mm. and that sort of thing. And I, um, and then I tried, then in around 2009, I tried uh, cannabis in California. I went to California and, I, and, and I've kind of almost been here ever since. So you could say that, that it was drugs that got me into constitutional law. It was, a, it was the gateway to that. But um, it was really kind of an opening of a consciousness of, of what, um, you know, kind of what's wrong with society and also kind of what kind of stand an individual can take against society. And I became really interested in those questions. Did the cannabis, when you went into that, did that change your your mind, your life? Like, was there a shift like that was obvious where you were like, "This, there's something here." Well, it was more like I had close to what you would call a psychotic break the first really? time I smoked cannabis. Yeah, it was really, a, 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 I would say, a disturbing experience in a lot of ways because I didn't know what was real. I was Whoa. kind of in a state where I, I was really suspect that anything was real that was going on. Really? And how it changed me was I had to, in that state, the only thing that kind of kept me in that, in reality, was I had to like, I had to tell myself what was true, what I knew was true. Mm. And also identify what I knew was bullshit. In some level, it kind of like... And you were doing that in real time? Yeah. Wow. You know you know how it is, maybe you're on a... Maybe four or five hour trip on you know, cannabis, it's very, you could, it's, it's probably one of the more, I would say, strong psychedelic drugs in a lot of ways. Can be, yeah. Yeah, well, Can yeah, yeah, yeah. All, yeah, and so that, and so I, I really started kind of empathizing more with injustice in society, that sort of thing. Interesting, that's so that, that. that's where it led you, it led you back right. to injustice. Yeah, and, and, and so I started doing, I, I moved back to the United States, I started doing, um, public defender work where I'm basically taking uh, cases from the state uh, to represent them in, in appeal. And you, what you find in that situation is you find, um, it's, it's really tragic, it's, it's, it's one of the more sad things to find out about is one, how the state treats people, you know, and the brutality that it uses, the injustice that's kind of inherent in what's going on, as well as how bad people can be, you know, because the, you know, I think it was Schopenhauer says the attorneys know all the wickedness of mankind because you can see examples of people that are doing really, really awful things. Well, you're, you're in the, the limelight of everyone that is, I mean, the, all of the, all of the criminals, 
like of society there's I mean you get a mix of everyone you get people that are doing good things people that are neutral people that are um, you know, criminals or you know and you get this big mix well you're dealing with the entire side of all of the criminals right and so I can I could even see how it would be easy to become jaded you know in, in the, like become well, almost callous like everyone's just bad you know and so it's interesting that you, when you went into cannabis it, it brought you back to injustice well, yeah, it brought me to that consciousness of injustice, and also it it, it, it relieved me of a certain illusion that everything was okay, mm. in a certain way. Um, you know, it probably relieved me of, I mean, I think, I mean, I studied philosophy in college, and, and but I was also very religious uh, by um, birth and by nature. I was a, a Mormon, um, and, you know, really... What Mormonism does is it tells you to put blinders on certain things in the way you think about the world in order to preserve a certain peace. Mm. So you live in a, in a dream world. You're, you're actually, I mean, some Mormons are consciously living in the dream world. Most are just living in the dream world ideologically like most people do. But cannabis kind of, I, I couldn't keep living in that dream world. And then when you see real reality, you want to maybe do something about it. You become empathetic with with injustice that's going on, and I've always, um, and then to me, you know, the the you know, convicts are the lowest class of society, mm. and that is really how you should judge society how how it treats the the people that it hates, and it's it's brutal the way we deal with um, social problems with prison in the, in the United States. So, you know, I, I felt like it was something, and then you know that brought me to uh, work in the cannabis industry. Um, I represented growers, uh, dispensaries, um, uh, testing labs, uh, pretty much the, the whole spectrum. I've, I've had clients in that area. Um, and I, what I saw that there wasn't in the industry, because the industry is really focused on kind of the standard regulated regulatory scheme, but there was no really assertion and it actually an abandonment of the, of the human or human element, the human right to use cannabis and to, to grow cannabis and to use it for your own um, benefit, to, to be able to change your mind, just like my mind was changed, to be able to, to become more empathetic with what's going on, hmm. to, to relieve yourself of a dream world that may be, um, may or may not be helping you. So, you Do know, you feel like the society that exists, uh, I mean, you have microcosms here, you know, in California and Colorado and Michigan that are more... Um, progressive when it comes to the cannabis industry but as a whole do you feel like society has a hard time separating the cannabis industry from the criminal side of society well I think cannabis is inherently um, prejudiced meaning uh, for so long you know if you use it you were considered bad yeah. strange and, and, it, and they, it, there's also a stigma that it might permanently change you yeah well, it, it, it probably will. It, that's, it, it can. It can. That's <laughs> Everything the changes. Well, well that's the yeah. is the, the question is, is who gets to decide what changes? Who gets to decide that? Yeah. And I think where I landed, you know, I, and I don't have a problem with people that prohibit it within their communities in the sense that, um, well, I guess I do have a problem. That's why I'm not uh, a practicing on that particular level. I don't think, I'm more Aristotelian. I think that every substance 
there's a mean, there's a, there's a reason should be applied to decide what benefit should be for us and for humanity. What was that term you said? Aristotelian. Aristotelian. Yeah. Well, Aristotle said you had the idea of this golden mean. So like, um, uh, there's a balance in every say practice or substance that you would use. So mm. there's a, there's a, there's a amount, an optimal amount of water to be used, mm. in, you know, or coffee or anything else. And that no substance is, is evil in itself, but only in how it's practiced. Mm. So, and I, and I would, I would subscribe to that. I think that substances, um, become beneficial to humans if we have good practice. <laughs> you but, said that and now all of a sudden I'm like, Oh man, I want to become an Aristotelian. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it, <laughs> is that well, the thing I've been searching well, for? Well, you are Aristotelian, probably. Because yeah, I didn't even know. It. Yeah, yeah, you didn't even know. It. Yeah. So yeah, and now uh, there's a term for it. Yeah, now there's a term for it, right? So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I think you should use reason rather than uh, and rather than religion to decide what medicine to use, for example. Um, so yeah. prohibition is a certain kind of uh, prohibition on a certain kind of medicine or a certain kind of relief. Or a certain kind of change that they're saying you can't make, or you can't assi be assisted in making by either drinking. I mean, in, in my culture, drinking coffee is forbidden completely in hmm. the same way cannabis is, hmm. and you will be excluded from religious rights for drinking coffee in the same way you would be drinking cannabis. So it's it's, hmm. it's coming from that uh, perspective, and even even. Um, having some sympathy with that. I mean, I think there is, I think sobriety is a certain kind of state that is really valuable for humans and it should be preserved. Mm. And, you know, it, there should be some people that are sober all the time, perhaps, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and there's some people that shouldn't use uh, any substance whatsoever. You don't, you don't know that beforehand, but beforehand we have to treat everyone equal and let everyone make their own decisions generally on those types of things. Um, in order for there to be a free society and be able to talk about it because we're not going to get any, nothing's going to change if we prevent people from talking about it. And I think that's why Grow Together, that's why I'm really interested in, in, in with this project to talk about the rights of people that grow um, for themselves, either, either food, medicine, uh, you know, things for their lifestyle, clothing, all these things that uh, I would consider pre-institutional rights rights that every man should have that to, to, to create a sustainable environment or a life for himself outside of society if he wants, right? And I think that's something that has to be protected by the American Constitution because that's what America was built upon, right? Mm. Is being able to take, to, to create your community outside of um, control of outsiders as long as you're reasonable and allow people there freedom within that community. And, yeah. and I think what we're finding in the United States is some communities don't, some communities do, and I'd like to see universal. Uh, on a broad scale. On a broad scale. Interesting. Right. Interesting. So where do you come into play, Sam? So, you know. I mean, how do you two know each other? So we met uh, on a cannabis project uh, that we were trying to do several years ago. Uh, we were, one of our common friends, uh, Tom, he, we were trying to do a kind of a connoisseur. He comes from the restaurant industry, and we were trying to do these kind of elegant events where you have like fine dining, 
but infused with cannabis. Interesting. Microdosed with cannabis. So was, that, was, was that here in California? Yeah, it was literally here downtown. Oh, cool. Yeah, we rented out a huge spot, a loft, and then we had like some really, uh, I, I forget the name, but a good, a really good top chef come. I think Ease, if you guys know in the cannabis industry, Ease is really popular. It's mm. a company that delivers uh, cannabis in California, and they were there. So it was, you know, the thinking was, because cannabis has such a bad stigma to it, we were trying to bring it in the mainstream as it's kind of coming into the mainstream. And we wanted to kind of get over the stigma and say, hey, let's build a networking event because your network is your net worth. And, you know, cannabis with fine dining, you know, there's a certain, you know, a selection of people that are always buying these crazy tickets to like fine dining events. I think there's one in San Diego with like a big bear that cooks steak for you or something like that, right? So people will pay $100, $200 for this. So we said, hey, why don't they do that? Because, these are the, because you know, in any industry, the starters, the, the first starters are the people that will pay a little bit more than yeah. the people that come in later on. So yeah. Yeah. that was the idea. And Jared kind of assisted us with the legal structure of things and how we can kind of grow a business of that sort. And so we met on on that project. Interesting. Yeah. You guys linked up since then. We linked up on that project. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and I love how you guys are talking about, um, <coughs> excuse me, how you guys are talking about the cannabis as it's viewed. Because, I mean, any any substance that is that exists is just a thing. Like, yeah. whether it be... Um, you know, cannabis or psilocybin or alcohol or, um, I mean, fitness. It's just a thing that people can use for good or bad. Right. Um, and a lot of times, I know you talked about this briefly, um, is like how you use a thing isn't necessarily the thing. It doesn't represent the thing. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, know, I know for myself, I've come across people that are addicted to alcohol. They're alcoholics through and through. And if you solve the alcohol problem, because if you, view the, if you look right at that alcohol, it'll, if you say, we need to get him off alcohol or get this person off alcohol, they're probably going to lateral over to something else because there's an underlying issue that they're not taking care of. Like it's, cannabis is not the problem, and it never has been. Uh, I mean, in, in a sense, all in the world that you're talking about, um, any any natural thing is just a natural thing, and if you are in a good place, if you are in a, a place of of health and, and wholeness, and you take it, you would get to experience the thing in its in its wholeness. But if you're seeking to bury something, if you're seeking to get rid of something, you'll end up grabbing onto that thing, and then it gets a bad stigma. Somebody else will look at you and say, "Hey, look." you're addicted you're addicted to weed or and and they focus on the weed and all of a sudden weed gets gets a terrible stigma and it's and then you have 40 or 50 years of us fighting the war on drugs when really no one's concentrating on the problem of the human like hey let's let's get at the root problem here like what's actually going on because the cannabis was never the issue well, right? well the, the war of drugs is a way to distract from the problems of yeah. poor and underclasses. Oh my gosh. That's the problem. I mean, it's, it's, it's an actual diversion tactic to say we don't care about those people. Yeah. And we don't care about what medicine they use and whether they even have medicine. And that's the, and that's maybe, that's when I get a little bit of, you know, that, that's my reaction to the injustice, right? But so then the question is what, what can be done? Well, the first thing, I mean, not the first thing, but the thing that I'm interested in is providing everyone an, an avenue to grow their own or to you know to find or have their community grow it for them so if they don't have to participate in, in, in the industry and they don't have to participate in the government if they don't want to 
Those, my ancestors were the people that wanted that for some reason. They were the crazy people that left Europe to come to a desert environment and have their own society to, to, to make it the best society, to yeah. make it good, yeah. and, 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 and to make it of God, that what they would say. Sure. Um, now, you should have the right to do that. Now, but does, do you have to join some weird church to be able to use uh, <laughs> a substance? It doesn't make any sense to me that that yeah. has to be the case, yeah. right? You, you know, just the same way you can prohibit it in your community, you should, an individual should be able to have the right to use it within reason why? I mean, and, and this is really what it comes down to. If we live in a free society rather than a religious society or, or a society that's governed by um, where our liberty is um, contingent, um, then uh, where it's not contingent, where our liberty is, is protected, if we live in a free society, we have to be able to um, decide for ourselves certain things. Um, well, do you feel like we live in a free society, or do you feel like it's presented as a free society that's highly regulated, and, or what's the difference? Well, it's interesting. So, I, I so I, uh, my first two years of college, I spent at uh, the United States Military Academy at West Point. Oh, yeah, West Point. Yeah, well, for two years, and then, but I met someone there at the twenty-year anniversary, and he was from Europe, and he was like a military attaché to European countries and whatnot. And he'd lived there for like 10 years, and he came back to the United States, and he goes, it, it, it seems like this is a police state. Yeah. And a lot of it is, be, I mean, if you look at even cannabis deregulation and decriminalization, there's still 100, maybe five to 600,000 arrests last year for cannabis. <laughs> right? So it's used as a tool. It's still being used. It can't be, it's the stupidity that keeps it going is almost, you can't fight it. No. I mean, the, the drug war can't be fought. You have to, you have to use peace, peaceful methods to convince people, to, to actually liberate people. Yeah. You, have to, you have to have them become conscious that this is their right to do it, that, that the government shouldn't in, interfere, and that they shouldn't feel afraid that they will. Because will. the government uses fear more than anything else, because it does, I mean, of course. It, it wouldn't, it, it, would, it would be an enormous amount of resources. And this was actually said when the war of drugs started, is that states had to participate in prohibition because the federal government does not have the resources to do it. Interesting. So it's basically holding a gun on everyone and, and using the paranoia to keep people from doing it for themselves. And Grow Together is about relieving that paranoia. It's about just coming to reason. Well, and also that, that avenue is ineffective, which you've seen right. for the past, I mean, what the war on drugs started in what, the early 80s? Was it, was it Reagan, Nixon? Nixon. Nixon, yeah. So yeah, so late seventies, early eighties, yeah, beginning so of my life. About fifty years, it's been this war on drugs, and it's terribly ineffective. Like, we have more people incarcerated uh, than any other country in the world when it comes to drugs. At least I believe that's. Uh, that we have more people incarcerated. Full stop. The the, the level of incarceration in America is obscene. So the obscenity that is being covered up is the war on drugs. War on drugs covers up that obscenity. Hmm. That's that's wild to me. See, like it's it's completely ineffective. And I I remember so I've I've had a couple conversations of I have some friends that live over um, uh, in Europe and they talk about the freeness of the United States, the states, and how we are free in the wrong things. Like we call we call ourselves, you know, like we're a free state nation. 
Um, but the things that are like our freeness is in the wrong things. And we are regulating and capitalizing on the things that really should be free. So it's interesting, this whole concept that you guys are bringing to the table, this, um, in a sense, it's the war on the war on drugs. Or it's, 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 it's peace on drugs. It's peace. Yeah. On, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. It's, it's like it's, saying. Let's be at peace on drugs. Let's not be involved in that. Yeah. And I, I mean, there are things that are detrimental to health. Like there are synthetic drugs that exist that are absolutely detrimental. Like methamphetamine is ridiculously detrimental to, to the human health. But at the same time, I mean, like if somebody wants to do that, I, I it's, uh, see, I, I kind of get, when it comes to synthetics, like, I, I don't know where I stand. Well, let me, because let, I, let, because me, I, let me give you please. a point on that. Because, so we met this, um, I met, I was at this uh, conference and I met uh, Dr. Carl Hart, who's a um, researcher at you know, University of Columbia. And, and they did studies, you know, they, this idea that methamphetamine is so um, uh, bad. Sure. Right? In, 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 no, I, I was an attorney. I uh, represented um, uh, someone who had the, the rights of their sister, the parental rights of their sister terminated because of methamphetamine. Mm. It, you know, it, the addiction ruined her life in a certain sense or prevented her from being a good mother. And so, of course, there's that. But overwhelmingly, probably, the use of methamphetamine is um, used to alleviate the, the other bad things. The pain of life. Or, life. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So he did a study to see, well, if it's so addicting, well, will they give it up for things like $5? So they would go into in his oh, lab, bring somebody in and give them crack cocaine, and they'd say, you can do it a crack or $5. And it turns out that they take $5 about the same time as they take crack. Really? Wow. That's crazy. And, the, and in methamphetamine, if you give them $20, they almost never take the hit of meth. So wow. you, you can see that it's it's kind of... Oh, let's attack the meth user. Put him in jail. Uh, never give him, you know, treat him like a, a the lowest class of citizen. When adopt, he might just need twenty bucks. Yeah, he might be he might be unable to do it because of either uh, a mental handicap or a physical handicap, or just not being smart enough. Not. I mean, he's in a depressed state. You know, the person that needs twenty dollars, and the person that's going to go for a drug. The drug, at the end of the day, the outcome of the drug is the feeling it provides to you, yeah. right? So, like, you know, when, uh, you know, I, I go back to the, the wine theory, right? Like, everybody's like, oh, I just need a glass of wine. It's been a hard day. <laughs> well, because the wine makes you feel relaxed, right? And now, alcohol in itself is a drug, and oh, it's probably yes. one of the worst drugs. I've had family members die of alcohol poisoning. Um, and, I mean, in my culture, I'm South Asian. And you You're know, South Asian? yeah, I'm Indian. So Punjabi from North You're India. Great man. <laughs> oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, people confuse me for you know Mexican, Spanish, whatever. But you know, in the South Asian culture, you know, the reason and then how I got into this whole industry, it's pretty unconventional. And I kind of look at it as the the red pill moment in my life. You know, the the breaking out of you know one knows mm. the Matrix when he took the red pill, like his mind opened up. In the South Asian culture, either you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be an engineer, you're going to be a doctor, or you might go into some kind of respectable job in finance. That's the track that they put you on, right? Huh. Or the, the thinking, right? And that's how where all South Asian people kind of go. So I went on the engineering track. So I graduated uh, from uh, manufacturing engineering at Boston University. And then from there, I just 
really wanted to kind of do consulting. So I did consulting for about two years at a top four consulting firm in New York. And then I had gotten an opportunity to go into the biotech pharmaceutical industry in Beijing, China. So in 2008, packed my bags, <laughs> left to uh, Beijing, didn't even know a lick of Chinese. Oh, see, did you, did you know Mandarin? You know, I was learning it on the plane there. That'd, that'd be a tough <laughs> yeah, language yeah. to dive so into. I'm, so I'm, I'm sitting there on the plane at Air China. I'm flying overnight. Um, you know, a lot of your friends are like, oh, you're going to miss us. What, what about us? You know, like, aren't you, why do you want to, you know, live in Beijing? I was like, listen, it's an opportunity, right? Yeah. I was looking for growth in my career. I was looking for opportunity. So I had this great opportunity of being a senior BD person on the ground for a venture capital firm. Uh, and they had a project out in Beijing, which is the contract research organization, which they're doing preclinical work for the pharmaceutical industry. So it was new to me. I was interested in it, so I went down on the ground. They had about a laboratory at the outskirts of Beijing. So for those of you that know Beijing, it's kind of built with ring road. So there's like the first ring road, the second ring road, all the way out to the sixth ring road. So this laboratory on the sixth ring road, this is a very local place, right? Like you don't have, like the society is totally different right now. Like mm -hmm. I'm living in a whole new world. Um, and you know, there's only about 60 scientists there. So in those two and a half years that I was with the firm, we grew it from about 60, 70 people to a little bit over 700 scientists that were inside that facility. And I got to meet you know, all of the top you know, pharmaceutical companies like GSK, Eli Lilly, Johnson & Johnson, because they all are doing their um, work in these laboratories because to do it in America or the United Kingdom and paying $100,000 a year scientists is a lot more expensive. So they, so they were doing the outsourcing model of outsourcing that grunt work, which is the beginning part of uh, 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 drug development, preclinical development. It starts there, and then if they have like a good target drug, then they'll migrate that to phase one, phase one A and B, phase two, phase three, you know, and then the drug kind of comes out into the market uh -huh. and so forth. So I was in the, the beginning stages of it, and what I realized there, um, I mean, I was learning a lot about pharmaceuticals. I was learning a lot about biotech, but I was also kind of naive in some senses where some of these guys would come from these top companies and I would have a chance to be able to go to dinner, go to lunch with these guys. Um, and I was asking questions of such as, you know, are you guys, you know, going to be solving cancer? How close are you to doing that in the research Whoa. phase, right? So this is like serious. Serious questions, right? I'm just because, you know, like if you're in the medical kind of, you know, like a lot of, a lot of people in my family, have always said being a doctor is like the highest form of like, you know, respect, right? I didn't want to be a doctor because I'm not really a big fan of like blood and, you know, I wouldn't trust myself on myself being a doctor doing any kind of surgery, right? But, and again, it has, it has to come, you have to have a passion for it. I love numbers. That's why I went into engineering. I love talking to people, I love solving problems. So that was more my gear. And um, so I'm there, I'm asking these questions to these people and basically, in, in so many words, their responses were, we're not trying to solve the problem because there's no money in that, right? We're trying to sustain the problem because there's money in that. Get out of here. So that, to me, was a moral dilemma. So like for me, pharmaceutical was like, I don't want to be here, but I didn't know what else was out there. And it so was, is, this, is this representing, like, or I should let me rephrase this. Do you feel like that attitude represents the whole was that a microcosm of the whole thing like we're not looking to solve the problem we're looking to 
maybe treat a symptom and keep the problem as a whole or make money off the problem make money off make the problem, off the problem. Yeah. if you if you solve the problem then where's then, your revenue stream then, at? then there's no money there's no money so the idea that cancer could be well i have a hard time with cancer being cured um do you do you feel like the idea that the the cure for common cancers is out there or it could be or do you feel like that's that not even being pursued or so I feel so I, I looked into this because recently this year, uh, you know, my little cousin passed away from leukemia and, you know, he was younger than me and wow. his battle through cancer, uh, just pumping, you know, chemotherapy oh, through you, gosh. I would say is not a solution that, I mean, it can help in certain stages. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't say that that doesn't help in certain stages, but every cancer is different. Yeah. And that's why we're moving over to a protein therapeutic based uh, solution. That's kind of what the pharmaceutical industry is looking for is therapeutics to solve the problem. Interesting. But at the end of the day, if you look at the base of the core of it, cancer is just an unstableness in your body. Right. It's we yourself. all have a bit of cancer in us right oh, yeah. now, but it's just our bodies are kind of in, in, in control. But when you start to, it starts with nutrition, right? Like that's one of the biggest things that can cause you to get on the track of, you know, destabilization in your body and getting cancer is by not taking care of your nutrition, the air that you're breathing, maybe the chemicals you're touching, it could be stress. And I think stress, and I had another family member pass away this year of mainly like stress, you know, because stress can cause inflammation. So these are things that I knew and getting these kind of feeling and these answers when I was actually in this company, um, you know, it, it gives you a little bit of dis-ease because when you wake up, you want to be passionate about what you're doing, right? So that passion, that, that light that was glowing in me was a slightly like dimming. And so I was there for two years, it was a great experience. And I saw the pharmaceutical industry on one side, well, while I was in Beijing, because I was there for five years, I had a red pill moment. So one of, you know, when you're out there as an expat, you kind of associate with other expats, right? That's like your little family, your little mm. community. So I had, a, I had a friend that I really became close with, and he gave me at the age of, I believe I was turning 25 to 26, gave me my first cannabis joint. And that was my first time and smoking cannabis and for me being an engineer coming from a culture that kept you on track i you know i was i was one of those straight arrow people if you met me back then very different attitude still you know like i was i, I guess i was more stressed out and maybe if i kept going that way i would have had some kind of a psychotic breakdown to like reset myself but this cannabis allowed like it opened up gates in my mind It'll, and my mind fires at like a million miles an hour where things just kind of slowed down. You remember uh, in the Matrix bullet time <laughs> where he was able to see the bullets? Like yeah. I was able to see my life problems that way. I was able to like, and I really big on meditation. I really got deeper into it at that time. And again, I'm, I'm South Asian. So we believe in yoga. We believe in, you know, like we have like even, uh, you know, shamans in our culture take this drink called bung. Bung is a mixture of cannabis hash and lsd right so 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 in my culture we have this stuff and that's just but we're so common. disconnected we're disconnected from it we don't we're not raised to know these things oh my gosh you see what i'm saying so for me i did a lot of research into like the different uh, holistic stuff because growing up my mother had always given me holistic medicines right like if i have a cold i didn't take dimetap she gave me some kind of bark that we had that you chew 
and it had like certain things to help you know cure your sore throat or you know I was always into like holistic stuff drinking this mm. tea those teas so that was in my nature and so then I had an experience with psilocybin as well too while I was in um, uh, Beijing and that really just broke the gates open threw the gates off the hinges and allowed me and I always kind of explain you know people ask me like what does that feel like imagine taking a piece of paper crumbling that piece of paper into a ball and then you like open up the paper and it's like all wrinkled now right but imagine on that piece of paper that flat uh the eight and a half by eleven piece of paper all of these different ideas all of these different things that are in your brain are there but you're not making those connections what psilocybin allowed me to do is like iron that piece of paper out make it clean and crisp again and make make those connections and wow. get rid of all of the bad habits so to say and redesign good habits and wow. i found that when after my first two experiences the feeling i got was this is the medicine this is not a drug and this is not a bad drug this is medicine from earth and this is what everybody and that, that was you know my experience at the time was everybody should have this feeling interesting and that's really where I started to research more about it. I got into symbology because, you know, if you're on a, a high dose of psilocybin, I feel like it's getting your mind-body connected. Mm. And there are fractals. There are, like, different, like, you know, in, in our culture, in Indian culture, we have mandalas. We have different, um, you know, symbology. In every culture, symbology is there. So I got into a lot of these things. But educating myself on the medicine basis foundation started there, right? Now, did this industry exist out there on that alternative side? It was fairly new back in 2011, right? This was about 2011 this happened. So from there, when I actually got back um, you know, to America, having just spent a couple more years in China, learning the language, learning the culture, it was amazing. Um, I knew one thing that data was like the new gold. It was worth more than oil. So me being an engineer, I got into the uh, marketing world. And uh, to, to today, I have an agency. We help a lot of plant medicine based businesses, you know, cannabis businesses. Um, there's another uh, uh, plant medicine called Kratom. Uh, you know, we have. I know. I've, I've heard of that. Yeah, Kratom. it's slowly making its way. Right. It like helped. Some states have already regulated, outlawed it, um, but it, it's made its way to Michigan for yeah. sure. And and kratom helps. You know, we have an opiate crisis in this country. Yep. So that's the cure for that, right? Yeah. To some extent. So and then you know, I, I've always been into nutritional, like selling supplements and stuff like that online. But I wanted to learn, you know, in this data space, they call it affiliate marketing. You know, we sold so many diet pills and so much nutrition stuff. But I want to use those skill sets to help real businesses, like e-com businesses, businesses also like, you know, trying to get more people in this space and education. Because it all starts with content, right? Like we're on this podcast here today. Hopefully somebody's listening out there and this content's helping them also kind of understand this world a little bit better. So I've really been on that pedal on the content data front and being able to build these kind of audiences is kind of how a simply way to call it. And these audiences is how you can first have that conversation with people, right? Because these things that we're talking about here today are amazing, but it is a stigma for a lot of people. So well, I think it's backwards. I feel like the things that are legal in this country and the things that are illegal is backwards. Like the things that are illegal are completely natural. 
like they grow from the earth and the things that are legal are these synthetic drugs that come along that you see like in, i mean in the fitness world is littered with supplements and they're all synthesized and a lot of them are you know but people are injecting them in order to make their that's legal but you know how what? much but, but but how much marketing dollars and how much it's money you know it's it's marketing it dollars to there's the no doctors in, there's no money in having people grow their own there's no money in um there's no money in uh, commodities that are that are actually really valuable. Bec- I mean, that you can easily get, right? There's only yeah. commodities that have to be regulated. That's how they create extra value. It, they either have brand or they have, you know, a, a monopoly system that you have to be involved in. Um, now, if you look at like really developed civilizations, like for example, Indian civilization, where you have practices surrounding almost everything in nature. Yeah that you have spiritual practice surrounding almost everything in nature. You have uh, spiritual practices surrounding every substance that has any psychedelic value. Uh, because people are allowed to do it, it was within, it was not taboo on one level, and then people were allowed to develop it in, within, within a conversation in their community. We're, we live in a police state in that sense when it comes to drugs. You can't talk about them in a civilized, rational way. There's no, I mean, when, when there's only a single um, professor at any major university that's, that is able to say that the overwhelming uh, product of drug use is positive, only one person, maybe in the entire planet, can say mm. that. It shows you the taboo of, uh, and this is what you know, Dr. Carl Hart says and why he's actually almost unique in that sense, is that it shows you the absolutely overwhelming ideology that ha- that that the war on drugs is there, and the war and, and underneath the ideology is is a, is a lot of injustice. Mm. Because if you if you say people have to, you know, or allowed to use cannabis, you're gonna have a lot of people change their mind about things, and mm. and, the, and and that destabilizes society to some degree, but it overwhelmingly is better to allow that sort of practice because we need to integrate all the things that are good for humanity and we have to use reason to do that. You know, you can equate it down to this. I I was talking to a friend one time and we were trying to say it's not really essentially the war on drugs. It's actually a war on your mind Mm. because if they allowed people to use these substances, their mind would open. I mean, you can drink a lot of alcohol. Your mind's not going to like open you might oh, feel no, goes the other good way. you know it's you might have a good night system depressing right but, but, but i mean argue i'm i would say the first time i was drunk it was i was in i was probably 36 and it was absolutely a psychedelic experience in the way that i was like oh this is a different state of mind and just being in a different state of mind makes you recognize that your other state of mind might you might not take it out as so seriously as you did sure. right and so being drunk is an important part of civilization. It w- it, there would be no civilization without alcohol. Interesting. No, that's true. But also I would say is being in a different state of mind and being functional. And I think that's, for, for right. me, it's, a, it's, it's about those other substances. And, and again, you could be in those substances and not be 100% functional. But for me, my, my comparison was is that, you know, being in, in the college culture, that's when I first got my first drink, you know, back in the day, you would be able to drink a couple of drinks, wake up the next morning, and be okay. Now, in in thirties, like you oh feel like gosh. death. You know, like oh your your gosh. body needs like tons of water. You need the electrolytes. <laughs> but when you take those other substances, 
I what I found myself is having some of the most fascinating conversations. Yeah. I took the time to actually talk to people, yeah, understand their story because I'm I mean I'm from New York, so we're very like, hey, how's it going? Great, wonderful, you know. Like, we're very fast you know, to business. the point yeah. on business. But when I came to those substances and even coming to California, there's just a sense of like, hey, this you're a person. You probably have an amazing story. Yeah. Let me take a second and just yeah. like, you know, God has given this, the universe has put us together. Yeah. And like you just said earlier, it's like the universe puts us together. You're getting these experiences when you travel. But you know what? A lot of people get those experiences, but they don't even realize it because they're not aware. They're not awake. And that's the thing where it just it gives you a little bit more um, awakeness uh, and not wokeness, but awakeness, alertness in your mind to observe the reality around you, not just to keep at you know plugging into the reality around you i think what the governments want us to do is beyond this kind of like you know this tracks that they've designed for us this reality that they've designed that they've marketed that they've told us and we need to rethink that because that's not obviously in today's world 2021 a lot of that's not working anymore well changing changing the uh, updating the model is a beautiful thing about society but it's hard to do um, like uh, on a on an individual level, like if you look, I mean, a great example would be, um, you know, if you're religious at all, if you look at the Bible, for example, there are uh, a lot of things on what to eat in the Bible and what you should stay away from, because back then their model of reality was so poor that the best science they had was don't eat hooved animals. They didn't realize you have to cook it to a certain temperature, mm. and they didn't realize you had to do all these things to stay away from bacterial and the microbial world. But now we know better. And so we needed to update our model. And I feel like maybe even initially, the model of reality when it comes to some of these substances, some of them, not all of them, but the model was was so poorly misunderstood that it was just better to take to go down a trajectory that said, hey, prohibition is better than trying to figure out what this is gonna do for us. And we need to update that model because now our understanding and our science is better and our experiences are better. And now even looking at you, when you said, and I was, I'm 39, uh, this past weekend I went and I think I had two drinks. One was an IPA, one was a light beer, and I was down for like a day and a half. Like, I, you look at that experience, who is taking a, a, a psilocybin, an ayahuasca, a cannabis, and they're down for three, no one. Like it does, it, it puts you in the other direction. We need to update our models. Right, and updating the model really goes back down to the science of it all, right? Yeah. Just like pharmaceutical drugs, like we do a lot of research, we do a lot of science behind it. Yeah. And it's happening with a lot of the psychedelic drugs, but the unfortunate part is it's, it's slow to happen to the cannabis thing, right? Yeah. With cannabis, and again, we're looking at talking about medicines. So if you're talking about medicines, you would want to test, in theory, the best quality medicine, which, you know, if, if for those people that, are, that know the cannabis world, it comes from, for sure, California. North Cali has been, you know, the, the mecca. But when you're testing out, you know, cannabis grown in Mississippi, that's like average cannabis that's only allowed to be used for you know research and for this stuff that we're talking about to change the model i mean it all comes back down to data right if we don't have the data we as a society can't feel comfortable nor can we make decisions and nor can we 
put this into you know practice for everybody. So, but the but the interesting thing, the good news is, I th there's a lot of people, and me and Jared, we actually just went recently to a conference in Vegas where it was the first conference in America getting together the entire psychedelic industry, uh, growers of you know these kind of medicines, people that are doctors in the in this space, people that are investors in this space, just like how professional it is already. But there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think that's the mission in the next five, ten years is to bring up these people's stories out there, to bring more, you know, intelligent regulation. But only regulation can happen when even the people that are regulating understand the value of this. So I think there's gonna like right now the one psychedelic that is legal across America is ketamine. Right? And I've I've never done ketamine, but I've seen Wait, the it's legal for like me and you to just go and buy on the street. No, 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 no. It's, good. it's a prescription medication. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> I, was yeah. like, I was like, Wait, no, 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 did I miss a regulation? You, no, no, you can't, you can't go to Walmart and get it. But, you know, you can go and there are clinics out there that'll administer it, right? And it has helped a profound number of people so far to be able to kind of get this like mind PTSD. It cures, you know, PTSD is one of the biggest problems in our country for a lot of people, for a lot of veterans coming yeah. back from war. Yeah, yeah. There's no outlet. I mean, how many suicides do we hear about every single year from people that have taken their time to protect us and to, you know, put themselves, you know, on the line. And then yeah. they come back and we don't really have like a, a system to help them out with. And mental health, and again, after COVID, I believe, it, mental health has been a number, number one issue, right? It has increased drastically where people are just a little bit more irritated, a little bit more destabilized, a little bit more, you know. A fascinating statistic and uh, that someone, you know, you, you can always design uh, surveys to, um, to, to model like large populations, but a fascinating statistic I heard was one in four people contemplated suicide in the United States during uh, what was it? I think August two thousand twenty, right? Just because at the peak of the pandemic. Yeah, just because the contemplation of suicide is so common, and you know, you probably can pick that up. But but it just shows you that like you know, anxiety and depression are a consequence of the uh, social reality that we have. It, it, you know, hitting our biological reality. Our bodies were not evolved to live in this particular society. That's why drugs are so pervasive in civilization, whether it was, you know, beer for the Egyptians, wine for the Greeks, uh, what, you know, the, the Indians, of course, have been, you know, unknown to the West, have been investigating this for, for thousands of years before that. I mean, all these substances have to be part of, of civilization because they're good for us, they allow us to, to participate in society in a way that, is, that, that keeps us sane. Um, now there's obviously problems, but that's our job as people, as community, to be able to talk about that problems, those problems and not simply prohibit the substance in a religious way. And, and that's what we've done. I mean, it's a brutal way of dealing with a, pro a delicate problem. And it's the same way the United States uses prison. It, it uses a brutal um, de deprivation of liberty in order to solve a social problem. And it's not solving the problem. And it's not. It makes it worse. No, you, you, all you're doing is you're you're controlling the thing that people are using to cure the problem. Like, if if you control the 
the cannabis or the alcohol, if you regulate that um, and then you discipline the person, like you're not, you're not curing the, the problem, you're curing the solution to the problem. And it's just going to keep pulling up. It's going to keep, it's going to keep surfacing. And an interesting question for you, you were talking about the destabilization of society. If, if all, let's say for example, something drastic happened and the model was drastically updated and um, like radically. And I think we've seen this in Portland where they pretty much just um, legalized everything, I think. Uh, like, I, I mean, decriminalized, decriminalized, decriminalized everything. You can have certain amount of pretty much anything you'd like, um, but it, there's still regulations. But uh, you can, I mean, if you have a tiny bit of cocaine or meth, like those things um, are no longer uh, incriminating. Uh, do you would you feel like if they did that on a national scale, would there be a destabilization of society if that happened or would like how do you feel like well what would be the trajectory of our society uh, I, I don't think so I think because because the truth is everybody's using drugs they're just not I mean everybody yeah. I mean there's it's, that's so true I mean how much that's cocaine so sold in the United States in the last year I oh, mean so billions much. of dollars yeah I mean a statistic is about 32 million people have used psychedelics at one point or another in the United States I yeah. mean that's like you know ten percent of our country. So what what would it what if we went the route of Portugal where we decriminalize it? What would it do? Well, it would it would prevent us from thinking that we're criminals. It, it would relieve us of a psychological burden that the government is placing on us. For some reason, you now is is that is that burden healthy? No, it's not. I don't think it's healthy. It, it, it prevents us from it. Well, there, it, it's a way of control. It's control. It's control. And does any good come from that control? Money well, comes from it. it. Arguably, you could make arguments that it, it, that some people benefit, and maybe even the community benefit. But the argument against that is that individuals on this particular practice, on your yoga, on your kung fu, on your way of life, you should have the final decision, and you should have access to things that are good for humanity in a reasonable way. And the government should be limited when it infringes upon that. And that's really what we're talking about: is is asserting the individual's right to decide for themselves and grow for themselves and, and, cre and create communities and, and create practices surrounding these things. Otherwise, you're just not going to get development. You're going to get stagnant. And, and that's what America's built upon, being able to talk about it, being able to express it, being able to gather together and, 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 uh, and assert rights. And, and that's kind of what Grow Together is about, um, why we're, why, you know, it is very makes me nervous, actually, quite nervous to even talk about any honestly. Like I'm, whatsoever. I'm, I was shocked, a little shocked that like when when he first started talking about it and he said um, he was connected with you and what you do. I I was like, wow, you guys are pioneering because I have not heard of anyone that's doing this. So right. it makes sense that there's a little nervousness, but it also speaks to the tone deafness of our nation in a sense that. The fact that you have a state of nervousness, even if it's a little bit, it speaks to the rhetoric of, of what we live in. Right. And that's that's a poor representation. It's keeping us in a state of fear. Fear is the biggest control. Exactly. On, on, you know, what does media do? You watch the news. They always say, don't watch the news because there's no good news on the news. It's just always just bad <laughs> news one after another. It's like, so uh, you know, in two, 2019, one of the uh, one compound that I came in across and I started to help a lot of companies, I had over 800 calls with CBD companies, right? Because yeah. CBD was... You know, like they're putting CBD and everything. It's like everywhere, and and the reality is that 
most drugs, synthetic drugs, are attacking the central nervous system. But one of the bigger biological systems, even bigger than your central nervous system, is your endocannabinoid system. How many people's endocannabinoid system is malnourished out there? How many people even know that they have an endocannabinoid system? Exactly. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even know that, right? But, but the fact that when you know these things, now you have receptors in your body, how can a something that's going to feed my receptor in my body be illegal? That's, it does not make any sense this to me. Is, this is something, so you're hitting on such an interesting concept for me, especially like as a scientist. I look at something like cannabis, and then I look at our systems in our body. We have an endocannabinoid system, and I mean like, do you know how many people overdosed from cannabis last year? Any off the top of your head? Zero. 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 You know, in history, zero. you can't overdose from something you have a system for. It's like, you can't overdose on adrenaline. Like you have a system for this. So like when you, if you get too much in your body, your body shuts down, it goes into a state of uh, uh, basically you fall asleep until your body bleeds off, metastasizes all that, metabolizes it, and then you, you, you wake back up. You can't overdose on cannabis. This is the, when, when, I, when I dove into the science behind that, I was like, holy shit, what are we doing? We have a system for this and we're regulating it? Who is in charge? Well, we need to update this model today because this is wild. Well, the, the, I think it's a simple solution. I mean, the, the solution is mere um, academic um, allowance, meaning we should be able to study this. That's the that's I mean, not it, it, it has study it. It can't, you can't even study it. That's obscene. But the only way that we have belief that it's positive it's like there's like stories in the news of people have had seizures oh, that use yeah. you know that use that use cannabinoids like oil like charlotte's web get one of the more here. famous ones it has helped these you know that little girl get off of her seizures it's helped people in, in that have cancer uh, they're taking chemotherapy being able to get their appetite back it's you know it's like so i have a story about that that's kind of it shows kind of what the, the problem is my cousin um works for the federal government um strong believing Latter-day Saint, I mean a Mormon guy, would never drink coffee, would never drink, but his child had Dravet syndrome, which is Ooh. a very rare form of epilepsy that only cannabis was known at the time to, to help. And this was in, you know, he, he, I think his child was born in 2004 or five, and, and then when, when it was legalized in Colorado, his wife, he, he was working in Washington, D.C., he had his wife fly out, establish residency so he could, under Colorado law, give his child this medicine. Mm -hmm. and he, 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 like, had to, he had to move. Well, he had to, and it was, it was kind of, he ended up, you know, because there's very few of these patients, you know, now, you know, he was one of the first trials of, uh, of you know, synthetic CBD, the, the, you know, or, and also, the, you know, the drug that came out in, in London, you know, all these types of things. But the truth was, he could have had access to that medicine from the day he was born if his dad was able to grow it in his backyard or to have somebody else grow it for him and give it to him. This is just like tomatoes. He would have, um, he would have had access to it without having to go through these weird uh, legal manipulations. And it just didn't make sense to me at that point. And this is before I had ever had cannabis, but I saw how ridiculous it was. And then when I experienced it myself, I mean, aside from that first experience and maybe two others, I mean, it's not that 
radically different of an experience than other reality, but it is different. So, what I, you know, the paranoia is you're looking around like, is anybody else experiencing this uh, like I am? And I realized, why is it illegal? I mean, you, the question you ask yourself is, why is this illegal? Why is being in the state of mind illegal? Yeah. Well, um, I think it, I mean, the same reasons, yeah, I mean, I think maybe I'm a poster child for that because it did change my religious persuasion in a sense. Um, my, I, I let go of a lot of uh, um, traditional ways of seeing things in order to um, open up to other, other ways of seeing things. And it, and it absolutely helped me. And I would say it was instrumental in me being a Christian, for example. I don't think I'd be a Christian without cannabis or other substances because I don't think I would have been conscious of the things that would have brought you to that. My state. fundamental Christian childhood was just like, ah! You're a cannabis and a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Ah! yeah. And now I'm like, of course you are. <laughs> well, you sh well, right. It, it, that's the thing. It's like, why... It shows why did you I how, have that response? It shows you how religious it is that if you... If you if to even say that. Yeah. You couldn't use cannabis and be a Christian. It doesn't even make sense it from a Christian no perspective. It makes no sense. Right. But the religious position is not a Christian position. It's a, it's a uh, American... Uh, Puritan. Oh, position. yeah, it's Western for sure. So, I, I but I have a question mm -hmm. because uh, you talked a little bit about um, in the pharmaceutical world when you started di like diving into like you you want to help people. I can I like that that that's one thing I feel like that is uh, a, a resonance between all of us here is like we we want to help people. Um, and you were over in China, and you were asking these scientists like like you, uh, are you are you working towards um, solutions to these diseases, and you realize they're not. They're, they're looking to sustain them. Um, and then I look at our society today, and how we can't legally study. How you can independently study um, uh, cannabis or psilocybin, but you can't cross-reference. You can't uh, falsify, um, and that's why every. I mean, that, that exists on every Schedule One drug. You can't do that. So independently, you can do it, but I mean. Uh, in the world of science, it's inconclusive. It doesn't matter until you can start to cross, until you can and start to uh, peer review. It's it's all all of the all of the research is obsolete. So I, I I think the question goes back to: Do you feel like those that are in control of the power of the regulation are they are they now fearful of the science? Because once the science becomes conclusive on what this is and what it can do, it will remove the ability to control and sustain the fear behind it. Yes, I think that I think that's well. I mean, if you look at it, um, it's kind of a product of a certain kind of stupidity that the whole war on drugs is, right? I mean, and the problem with stupidity, and this there's a there's actually a theory developed by this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer during World War II. He was kind of a, he was a, um, a preacher. Uh, against the Nazis, one of the only people that kind of stood up against the Nazis to say, "Look, this is this is absolutely wrong what you're doing," and he ended up being, you know, uh, executed for it. But his his uh, when he was in prison, he's like he pondered on this idea of stupidity. Where the problem with stupidity is you can't fight it. It's not like somebody being bad. <laughs> Because if you fight it, then they 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 fight back yeah. in an even worse way, and and they even they even go further in their stupidity. It's like they, they they if you bring if you fight it and say, 
we, with force of reason and science, are showing this to be correct. They, their stupidity brings them, because they're holding on to maybe say, well, let's call it a religious position, they will uh, fight back with any irrational response. Hmm. So the only way to do it, really, in my mind, is through liberation. This is what Bonhoeffer said too. You have to kind of be liberated from what is keeping you stupid. Um, and, and what's keeping you stupid in the, the drug war is not being conscious of your liberty to do mm. it. Because if your grandmother was doing it, oh, hey, Grandma, you want to try cannabis? Because, you know, maybe it would help make your life better watching TV all day, you know, with on... If, 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 if she had that consciousness that she could do it, she might. And then then the whole thing changes. Yeah. And because once... And you'll see that with... Actually, you're seeing that with with uh, psilocybin, it's, it's moving a lot faster where people are realizing, oh wow, I'm gonna try this. I should have the right to try this. I shouldn't, mm. have, to, I shouldn't have to be feeling fear of being, of losing my property, yeah. of being arrested. Yeah. Even, if, even if there's no chance of the, the feds coming, people are afraid, the paranoia is real, and it's the paranoia is behind, uh, it's not the drugs that are causing it. It's the government yeah. that's, got, I mean, it's the system that's causing it. Jeez. Yeah, but I, so I have an interesting story about that is that when I, so when I first went to uh, China, it's like I'm in a different country right now, right? So I'm not watching, listening, hearing opinions or the news. So before even psychedelics, I just, for the first two years, I was just not involved in like, I think in 2008 it was when we first had gotten a new president and, you know, the rhetoric that happens back and forth. But I was totally de- program my mind had the chance just by default by not being there and it's like when you're an expat it's like after the first year of living somewhere you start to think a little different you start to automatically deprogram yourself without even any substances so i think if anybody just wants to just deprogram themselves have a chance to live somewhere else now a funny story was so, you know, you'd go to the bars when you're in China or wherever you are. Yeah, you meet up with friends and then, you know, we're, we're at one bar and we're like, hey, let's go down the street to the other bar. You know, maybe I didn't finish my beer, so I'm holding my bottle, go to the next bar. All good. Not, nobody says anything. I came home for Christmas uh, one year. I think it was the second or third year since I was in China. I came home and, you know, we're, I, you know, I have to meet my friends in New York City. We're all, we're all hanging out together. And you know, we went from one bar, we're like, hey, let's go bar hop to another place, you know? And we're like, okay. So I had not finished my Corona beer at the time of. And I'm holding it, I'm walking outside because I'm not, I'm so, you know, like in my mind, I'm like, I'm free. I could just carry, like I'm a responsible person. I could just carry this to the next, you know, I'm going like 10 feet over, over there. All my friends stopped and looked at me like, Samit, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, I'm following you guys. Aren't we going to the next thing? I, I'm not, like, I don't know what they're looking at me for. They're like, you can't carry an open bottle of alcohol down the street. <laughs> and I found at that moment how dumb that that whole situation was. And, you know, let alone I forgot the rule. But then I'm like, oh, if we're so man. civilized here in America... And, you know, everybody's like, oh, those commies, those commies over in China. I mean, like, like, like you said before, there's some rules that we feel we're more free on, but we're really not free on the things that we should be free upon. Exactly. That's the problem. We're here. free on the wrong things. Yeah. That's a stupid thing. That, that was like, a, that was night and day for me. I was like, I Why? can't carry this bottle See, like 10 like, feet. You say that and I'm like, yeah, of course you can't carry it. But I've never asked why. Like, do you not trust me? Do you think I'm going to like break the bottle and start like stabbing people? So it's like, this is the the thing we have. We have so programmed and, and that's the thing. It's like you have to deprogram yourself. So all these substances do is 
it gives your mind a chance to deprogram. How That's dare all. you, though? But if, if in the American public, yeah, I feel like we would be dangerously liberated if you had 330 million people with the ability to free their mind. Live in a new society. Because if you, have, if you have 330 million people with the ability to free their mind, that sounds like a liberated country. Well, okay, so you could consider uh, liberation has already happened in the sense that, I mean, the internet is now determining who president, the president is. 100%. So, like, that's never happened before. No. Um, the, 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 you know, people, institutions, governments are being more responsive to these kind of popular forces than probably ever before. There's less violence than ever before. I think there, we're actually, you know, we're, we're backing off of the incarceration thing, uh, you know, and the evils that it has. I mean, there's a lot of things so hold on, hold on, hold on. happening. Uh, you just said something that I want to highlight, and I've actually talked about this once before. You said there's less violence now than there has been ever, right? Ever, yeah. See, a lot of people don't know this. Right. A lot of people think because they see what's on TV, right. they're like, the world is going to hell, it's catching on fire. But if you look at the data, oh, especially over the course of the, I mean, 200 years, 100 years, 50 years, we have had less violence than ever in all of history today, yesterday, the past year, five years. It's trending downward. But if you look at the news, they sell a story that things are getting worse. And if you can cast that fear into society, then society will lean on the government for more regulation to control. And it's this, it's this cycle. We get to trick them. We have to trick society into being scared so they can rely back on us so we can control them even further. And right. it's, it's, it's such, I'm so glad that, I'm so glad you said that. I've never had anyone else uh, have that realization. I mean, it's all the data is there, but nobody reads the data. They don't care about the data. All they care about is what they feel. And you even said you can't fight stupidity. Right. Um, yeah, the, there's a saying that I've, I've known for a while. You can't reason someone out of something that they didn't reason themselves into. So if, I've, right. if, they, if somebody holds a belief system and I approach them with reason and data, it's not going to change their mind if they didn't get to that belief without reason and data. If they right. were programmed um, through an, an emotional response, if, they, if, if somebody were to take an anecdote and exploit that anecdote to them and then use that emotional response and then all of a sudden they have a belief system, I can't present data and change their mind because that's not how they got. You can't, you can't fight stupidity with reason. And that's exactly right. to what you were saying. Right. And in, in, in the, I mean, you know, that said, I mean, most people's, the meaning in our lives isn't based on, you know, bald reason. It's, it's our own, what you could call it, spiritual experience with reality. Yeah. And, and, and uh, that's really powerful and, and it, it helps form communities and families. And, and you know, I, I you know, as a, as a Mormon, I was a missionary in, in Los Angeles and uh, dozens of people. I brought into the, the Mormon community and I would say by and large all of their lives were better off for, be, for being able to form that community. The question is then, you know, within my community where prohibition is absolute, um, is that, one, is that sane? You know, if for, for us as Mormons, you know, is it sane for us to not allow psilocybin? And then, then the Mormons are like, well, it is okay as long as it's legal. Huh. So then the law itself is their religious position. Huh. 
right? Like by de facto, right. de facto. I mean, if they're saying, well, you can't use it unless a doctor says, then what you're saying is the doctor is now the shaman. Or Interesting. Yeah. And and by and large, most people's religion is what is a civil religion. It's unconscious where the law is the most important thing. Their rights are most important thing. And I don't think that's the only way to experience life. I think you could. I think you should ultimately divest yourself of these kind of things if you really want to be conscious of kind of what you are as human. And I think you should be able to kind of live in a paleo lifestyle, even a paleo politics, where you are only worried about your people. Mm, um, that's because, interesting. Uh, I mean, at least you should have that ability. To I mean, you should have your curiosity factor. You should always be curious, right? You should always ask questions and understand. And I think a lot of people are just fed the understanding of what is happening, right? And I don't think people ask why it's happening. They just assume that, oh, this person's in a high position, whatever that means in their mind, has a title. So that, therefore, that information coming from them is good. It's good enough for me. And I think that that needs to be now questioned today, you know, and, and moving forward. If people really want to exercise their curiosity, they'll start to experience and understand the world around them a little bit differently, I think. You know, and I think that's really where, you know, it's not even about going to a substance. It's about activating your curiosity but in order for you to do that you have to be deprogrammed from the little bubble that we're in because every mm. state in america has their own little yeah. bubble right and then every, every country has their bubble and then every you know the western world versus the eastern world it's like there's always these this versus them scenarios where it's just we're all one people yeah. right yeah. and we need to you know and now we're like we're talking about climate change because we're realizing that if we don't get over ourselves the world will just diminish yeah. ourselves you know and so we need to start to realize that we are all connected uh, and not to sound like a like a hippie but we are connected as an energy being right yeah. on earth yeah. and we need to really realize that what we're doing to our surroundings our people society the earth it will come back and affect you you know there's like germany there was like massive floods in germany this year Jeez. things I, like when i was watching it on the news and i was like wow i never would have realized that would be happening on that level this quick but it's happening everywhere you know so it's like we need to wake up wake up quicker and now whether you're going to wake up by taking a year-long vacation in some other country and deprogram yourself or you have access to something that can help you deprogram and give your curiosity a little bit of a jump, a boost, it's up to you. But having access to that should be a right. And that's really our core thing is being able to be one of the facilitators out there to really be protecting these rights of people. Well, yeah, so that and, they can and, the, and the rights can't be protected until we use them and talk about them. Mm. Right. Right. And, and nobody's talking about the right no. to drugs or they like, it, or I mean, the right to healthcare is kind of talked about, but before that is the right, to, I mean, under the, you know, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the right to medicine, the right to be able to seek out things to relieve your pain yeah. is a human right that, that it's recognized, it's just never recognized in law. So the only way we can do that is when to exercise our rights to, uh, you know, without fear and, and to, to create, to have the consciousness in ourselves to be able to talk about it. So then we can talk about it without fear. And then best practices in quality will, will come out just like in other areas where we don't have fear to talk about. Wine, for example. Alcohol is by far the most dangerous drug of any drugs of abuse. Mm -hmm. more, more deaths, more uh, addiction by far. But it's, it, the cold, it's, been, it's been in civilization for so long that there's no fear in talking about how good this wine is over that wine or its effect 
over uh, that effect because the community gets to decide. Well, now we're barely starting that with cannabis and psilocybin and other things. And all of those types of practices are going to enrich humanity. It's actually our responsibility as humans, at least from my opinion, because there's a substance that helps my friends, my family, I have a responsibility to investigate and practice with that and, and develop best practices. That's what Grow Together is all about, is, mm. is trying to find people that want to develop best practices, that want to stand up and exercise their rights, whether it's anonymously, which you know we provide uh, you know, privileged legal, uh, you know, attorney client privilege, and also anonymous representation of people that want to speak out or also practice those, um, you know, develop practice surrounding growing and, and use of substances like this. We're, we're in favor of all of this because that's the only way we can find out what's good. You know, mm. that's, that's, that's why we have the First Amendment, mm. is we have to be able to, as humans, practice and, mm. and grow together about that. So I, the right to do that. So what are the next steps? I mean, like, like if if I if if this microphone were to turn on, I mean, you know, the whole nation could hear you for right. five minutes. Like, what what would you tell all of society? Like, how do we go about changing and updating that model? Like, what, what do we do? Well, what we, we grow together is trying to do one small part, right? We can't solve everything, but the, what, the small part and what you can do is you can, if you have any inclination to uh, assert your rights to use or grow, uh, you know, let's say natural medicine, that, um, that you are invited into the community to let's start talking about what's, what's right for you. Have the conversation. Yeah, have the conversation openly, um, yeah, honestly, and, and, and it, without stigma, without politics in a sense. Um, that's what I, we're invite, it's an invitation. So we, we invite everyone to do that and also to support us, you know, we, you know, our law firm to fight for people's rights, to identify people, the cases that are, are you know, manifestly unjust, and to, uh, and to create test cases so we can, we can assert our rights, just like those people who assert the right to carry and keep a gun in their house. This is a right that's no different or no hmm. more fundamental than that. Interesting. So how do people connect with, with, with Grow Together? I mean, like, I, I, do you, does this, does, like what you guys have, are you looking for people to connect with, yeah. with you guys? Yeah, to join, we, well we want people to join the, the, join the organization and become members so they can experience benefits from that. We're gonna to try to gather benefits for our members. Is this only out in California or no, is this nationwide? Worldwide. 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 worldwide yeah. Wow. Right, because the, the, I, we think that these are human rights, not just national rights. National I, mean, rights. I mean, we want the same rights as the Mexican citizen does in the United States. I, I mean, it seems ridiculous that we don't have those rights. So it's just about, let's talk about it. Let's, and so if you want to talk about it, you can, you, you can become, uh, if you become a client of, of my firm, you can talk about it anonymously and I'll represent your voice anonymously to other people. Uh, that, that's one thing to, to relieve fear. We, we are going to invite people to talk anonymously on the podcast so they can talk openly without fear. Um, that, and we also want to facilitate and support those people that talk openly and, and grow openly and, you know, and, and create test cases. Now, that, it's always risky to even call for people to do something that's against the law, right? Or even in, in, as an attorney, you can, you can be disbarred or you cannot practice if you're actually facilitating people uh, break the law. And that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is 
um, because we do believe that citizens and people have privileges and immunities within the law, we're trying to create a conversation where we can define those. Um, and then and those will be defined in the courts eventually, but they have to be defined in with, with the people through reason first, and it hasn't even started yet. Yeah. And it starts with the conversation, right? So that's the step one is always like, if you're thinking out there, do I fall under these rights? Can I, you know, am I is someone that can be a part of the community? Can I, you know, be a part of what you guys are building? I would say, you know, like, I, like Jared always says, he's like, start with the conversation. You know, you can go to, you know, our site, growtogethernetwork.com. You could book an appointment and we'd be happy to chat with you, you it, know, and, yeah. and start and if, there. And if you join and, and you, you, you uh, support, you know, if you become a client, whatever retainer you give will be used for both yours and the community's defense of these rights. And we're really narrowly focused as first line, the legal end of that is to protect individuals, not uh, against the government and, you know, not industry uh, players because um, at least this project is really mainly focused on that. And, then, and so if you want to uh, get together, support, uh, you know, become a client, uh, you know, become a member, uh, obtain the legal protection as well as um, the community support, um, you know, that's going to be available and growing as, as yeah. we speak. That's awesome. I love the work you guys are doing. Like this is, this is unique work because there's, I feel like as a society, as, as a human, um, there's, there's like the work that I do to, to generate money to, so, to provide for my basic needs. And then there's like the soul work, the work for humanity to move forward all that we I mean ability to connect ability to grow I mean we have we have basic needs we have basic rights and um, to to differentiate uh, the what the government is is controlling in order to help versus what they just need to make money from and to pull to the surface of things that are important like the work you guys are doing and I understand your nervous and you, I, I get it. I see it. I acknowledge it. Um, but the fact that you guys are saying we know that exists, but we're doing this anyways because um, this is this is a part of the soul work. Like this is a part of the work for all of humanity um, to pull to the surface the things that are important and to kind of push aside the things that are not so important. And your readiness and willingness to tread on. Um, semi-dangerous grounds in order to stand for something that needs to be stood for. It's, uh, it's honorable and it needs to be done and the work is it's some of the best work that can be done on this planet. So uh, well, I really appreciate that. That's really I uh, appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I mean you, you guys are doing you guys, you guys are doing it. You're doing the work. Like when people talk about like oh, I just want to make a difference. Like you guys are physically standing in the gap. And that is a hard place to be, because it's dangerous. And there's few people that do it. You know, you guys are casting pebbles, casting stones, and creating ripples. And that's all we can do with what we have. So um, thank you guys. Thank you for the work you're doing. I appreciate it's, you. It's incredible. Incredible work. Um, like, you guys, you guys are my people. Like, like you, you're the kind of people. And I knew it as soon as I met you, Sam. I was like, this is it. You guys are my people because I the universe works weird, man. Yeah. Um, and, when, and when you're doing the work, and this is how I know you guys are doing 
work that's it just it, I, it's what it is soul work but because I feel like I'm doing it and the universe just pairs me with the same type of you know and, and I met you the day it was 11 11 yeah and, and you know that's the number when you know you're on the right track so I met you on 11 11 oh, and I was man. like wow this is synchronous you know I was like this is you know you gotta just be aware like we were talking about before of like yeah. who's coming to your path and I was looking on your profile and it said podcast and I'm like for me Podcasting is just a way for all of us to tell our story, right? Because when you know the story, even when I was learning marketing, it would just be belief. I would be hearing all these stories of these people going from nothing to something, and then you start to believe that you can do it. Yeah. That's the programming we all need is that positive programming yeah. of what's going on in reality around us. And so, you know, we'd love to have people out there that, you know, are also doing interesting things in this space. You know, we'd love to just invite them onto our podcast and have the conversation yeah. there. And I think it will start there and then everybody else will start trickling in. And that's that's the belief of how the universe works is just, you know, that, that synchronicity is happening. And, um, and it's it's so appreciative to have this conversation with you. Yeah, today. I, mean, I feel like the, the quote, plant trees in which the shadow cast you will never sit. Like, you guys are doing work that you likely won't even see the benefits from, but you're planting the trees in which the shadow that is created, you'll never be able to sit in, that, in, the, in the shade. You'll never be able to sit in that shade but you know someone will. You know a society will eventually, mm. and that is th like that's that's soul work. That's the best work on the planet. So, um, where can people find you? Um, GrowTogetherNetwork.com. Uh, we'll have some other opportunities, but you know, GrowTogetherNetwork.com is going to be that's that's the hub. That's the hub. Yeah, we'll give you the links. You put a, pop it in the description. Yeah, and come come on by. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.